0: Welcome to the Thinking to Believe podcast. My name is Jason Dooley and I'm your host. And you have entered a realm where thinking is believing. I am very, very excited today that Roe vs. Wade has officially been overturned. It was leaked. We assumed this. This is not a shocker per se. Um, however, it is now official, June 24th. 2022 will go down in history as a great day in the fight for the unborn. Obviously, the fight's not over. The fight really is just beginning because now this goes back to the states. And even though there'll be many states, maybe up to half, who will outlaw abortion or severely restrict it, there will still be many states that will allow it. And a lot of those states have some of the highest populations and uh, many of the abortions will continue. So we still have our work cut out for us, but this is the beginning of uh, round two, if you will, in our fight for the unborn. We've gotten the issue away from the federal government, and now it's back with the states, but now we have to work at the state level, we have to work at the individual level to make abortion unthinkable. All right, last episode, we concluded the scientific evidence. We had looked at additional quotes from scientific authorities as to the humanity of the unborn and firmly established that it is settled science in the scientific community that the unborn are human from conception. And then we looked at why it is that scientists believe this. And we said there are two main reasons. The first was the law of biogenesis, that life only comes from life and every living thing was going to produce after its own kind. So if the parents are human, then the unborn is human as well. And then also genetics. The genetic code of every living thing tells us what kind of a thing it is. And that genetic code is there from the moment of conception. So the dna of an unborn biological entity inside of a human being is human and therefore we know that the unborn are human beings so the science is abundantly clear that humans come into being at the moment of conception now today we're going to look at the philosophical evidence for this conclusion Philosophy also has something to contribute to this discussion to help us identify what the unborn is. There is a principle in philosophy called the law of identity. The law of identity just says that a thing is itself. (laughs) It's not something else. This is not rocket science. It's pretty basic. But it just means that we are what we are. What something is will remain that something for as long as it continues to exist. So as it applies to human beings, that would mean that if a at a later stage of development, we identify something as being human, then that means that it was also human at the earlier stages, because it's the same thing that existed at earlier stages. So if at a later stage of development, and some entity is Classified as a human being, then that means that it is also a human being at earlier stages of its development. As philosopher Diane Irving said, scientifically, there is no point from fertilization to death when the human nature of that human being changes at all. And that's why there's no such thing as a full human being or a potential human being. A lot of times people talk in those terms and say, well, you know, the unborn, uh, it, it may be a potential human being, but it's not a real human being yet. Well, this is just inaccurate language. You, there is no potential human being. If it exists and at any point in its existence, we would identify it as being a human, then at all points in its existence, it is a human. It is fully human. It's not potentially human or partially human. As J.P. Moreland and Scott Ray note, quote, fetuses and embryos are not potential persons who with time and the right environment could become full persons. Rather, they are persons with the potential to mature according to their kind. So everything that they need to mature is already there. Why? Because they are already human. They're already a person. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that there's nothing that changes. But what changes are the properties of the individual. The identity of the thing itself does not change. Only the properties change. So the size obviously changes over time. Hair, the presence of hair, the absence of hair, the presence of lungs, the absence of lungs, all those things will change from conception all the way up to death. I mean, you were once 10 pounds. Now you're a whole lot larger, but that doesn't mean that you are more human. Your identity remains the same even as your properties change. So that means that all of us were once an embryo. The embryo didn't become human. It didn't become us. The embryo was us. We existed as human beings at the embryonic stage. That means if it was wrong to... um If it would be wrong to kill us now, that it'd be also wrong to kill us at an earlier stage, for example, when we were an embryo in utero. So that's the law of identity. Something is what it is, and its identity remains over time. So this also uh, helps us to see that humans are humans from the point of conception. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you'll always get the latest episodes. And help me spread the word by sharing your favorite episodes on social media, as well as rating this podcast and offering a short review on iTunes or wherever you access your podcasts. Now, what often happens is we tend to define humanness based on some property. We think of humanness in terms of individual properties that humans have so we'll often base you know humanness on outward appearance or the level of development that um, an organism has undergone or the ability to do certain things but all these things are changing and really they're arbitrary and the minute you begin to define humanness based on some outward appearance or level of development anything like that um, you're arbitrarily Defining humanity and you're, you're going to end up defining people out of human existence that are obviously human. When you base humanness and value on some acquired characteristic that, you know, a human obtains in some way, rather than their mere participation in the human species, all of us could become dispensable. Because who gets to say what those characteristics are that make you human or make you valuable? Maureen Kondik said it this way: She says, once the nature of human beings as organisms has been abandoned, on the ba- or as the basis for assigning legal personhood, it is difficult to propose an alternative definition that could not be used to deny humanity to virtually anyone. Arguments that deny human status to embryos based on form, ability, or choice can readily uh, be readily turned against adult humans who have imperfect form, limited ability, or who simply constitute an inconvenience to more powerful individuals or groups. And this idea is not new. The idea that if you start defining humanness based on some particular characteristic that you can start defining out of uh, existence all sorts of human beings and claiming that they're not really human or they're not valuable. Back in 1854, in the famous Abraham Lincoln versus uh, Stephen Douglas debates, here's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, you say A is white and B is black. It is color then, the lighter having the right to enslave the darker? Take care. By this rule, you are a slave to the first man you meet with a fairer skin than your own. You do not mean color exactly. You mean the whites are intellectually the superiors of the blacks and therefore have the right to enslave them? take care again. By this rule, you are to be a slave to the first man you meet with an intellect superior to your own. But you say it is a question of interest. And if you can make it your interest, you have the right to enslave another. Very well. And if he can make it his interest, he has the right to enslave you. So Lincoln's point here is that no matter what characteristic you choose, as your defining characteristic of what makes somebody, in this case here, whether they are considered a human being or not a human being, or a valuable human or non-valuable human. Anything that you choose is arbitrary, and it's on a scale. And eventually, that same characteristic could be turned against you to define your humanness out of existence. It's a slippery slope. It's a logical slippery slope. Now, some people will insist and say, well, you know, the unborn, they're they're clearly not human because they don't look like human beings. Well, (laughs) that sort of assumes and takes for granted that they're not human beings already. So you're begging the question there. Because the fact is that they do look like human beings. They look like every other human being looks like at that stage of development. People look different depending upon their stage of development. Children, little toddlers, guess what? They look weird. Their heads are big, (laughs) way bigger than their body. Adults don't look like that. You say, well, but they're similar enough. Well, who's to say how similar they have to be? The point is, at every stage of development, people look different. Old people look different than teenagers, than 20-some-year-olds. We all look different. Say, well, but it looks like an alien. Okay, well, guess what? You looked like an alien when you were at that same stage of development because that's what human beings look like at that particular stage of development. I like how uh, John John Jefferson Davis worded it. He says, to insist that the unborn at six weeks look like the newborn infant is no more reasonable than to expect the newborn to look like a teenager. If we acknowledge as human a succession of outward forms after birth, there is no reason not to extend that courtesy to the unborn, since human life is a continuum from conception to natural death. So he's making the same point I just made. If we don't expect newborns or teenagers to look like the elderly— We shouldn't expect the unborn to look like the born because we all look different at different stages of development. And the problem with this whole approach of gauging someone's humanness based on what they look like is that it it confuses what it is that makes somebody human because humanness is not a quantitative kind of thing. It's not like how many molecules you have. Humanness is a qualitative kind of thing. It's a, a be-like thing, if you will, not a look-like thing or even a do-like thing. It's not how you perform. It's not what you look like. It's what you are. And what we are is determined by our genetic code and by the law of biogenesis. If our parents are human, then we are human. That's the kind of thing we are. Now, many Americans, I think, have a hard time grasping the humanity and the full worth of human embryos because they see human beings as something that are, are constructed rather than formed. To explain the difference, let me quote for you Scott Klusendorf. He says, Most people think an embryo is constructed piece by piece rather than something that develops from within. Consider a car, for example. When does the car come to be? Some might say it's when the body is welded to the frame, giving the appearance of a vehicle. Others insist there can be no car until the engine and transmission are installed, thus enabling the car to move. Others still point to the addition of wheels, without which a vehicle cannot uh, make functional contact with the road. But no one argues the car is there from the very beginning, as, for example, when the first two metal plates are welded together. After all, those same metal plates can be used to construct some other object, like a boat or a plane. Only gradually does the assemblage of random parts result in the construction of a car. Most Americans see the fetus exactly the same way, as something that's constructed part by part. It's precisely this understanding that renders pro-life arguments absurd to so many people. As they see it, embryos are no more human beings in early stages of their construction than metal plates are cars in the early stages of theirs. The construction analogy is deeply flawed. Embryos aren't constructed piece by piece from the outside. They develop themselves from within. That is to say, they do something no constructed thing could ever do. They direct their own internal growth and maturation. And this entails continuity of being. Unlike cars, developing embryos have no outside builder. They're all there just as soon as growth begins from within. In short, living organisms define and form themselves. So unlike cars, he's saying, where, you know, there is this process where it's piece by piece and you wouldn't say the car comes into being until some later stage of its development and people could disagree as to precisely when the car comes into being. said, so, but in the case of an embryo, everything that the embryo needs to develop into a mature human being is there from the very beginning. Yes, it's true. Not all the pieces are present yet because it is building them from within, but the human being itself is already present and it is building its own parts for its own development and it's directing that whole process completely on its own. If they weren't human from the very beginning, they would not be able to do that. So being a human being, it's not a construction thing where you're building up a human piece by piece and then eventually it becomes a human. No, it is human from the beginning. And as a human being, it is able to develop itself into further states of maturity. With that, we'll end today's episode. This is gonna be a much shorter episode than normal, but I wanna do a nice break from what we've been discussing and to what we're going to discuss next. So we've been focused on the second premise of our argument and the first of our four questions. So just as a reminder, our four questions are what is the unborn? How do we treat the unborn? Are the unborn valuable? And then how ought the government weigh in on the issue? So you got a factual question, moral, philosophical and religious and political. The argument for the pro-life case is that premise one, it's wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. That's the moral claim. Premise two, abortion takes the life of an innocent human being. Conclusion, therefore, abortion is wrong. We've been focused on premise two, that abortion takes the life of an innocent human being and demonstrating that indeed the unborn are human beings, which answers that first question, what is the unborn? So this has to do with factual, and we've been looking at science and philosophy to answer this factual question and the factual premise of the argument. Next time, I want to shift to looking at premise one of the argument. It is wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. This is the moral premise. So now next time we're going to get into the moral aspect, and that's going to raise the question of are the unborn valuable? So we're going to be looking from a philosophical perspective. Are human beings valuable? And if so, are the unborn valuable? I had said earlier in one of the earlier episodes that most people, when they hear the argument that we make, you know, that it's wrong to take the life of an innocent human being, abortion takes the life of an innocent human being, therefore abortion is wrong. Most people take exception with the premise too. And they'll argue that the unborn are not human, therefore abortion is not taking the life of a human. But there are some people who will take exception with premise one. And that's what we're going to discuss next time. There are those who will say that premise one is mistaken because it says it's wrong to take the life of an innocent human being. They would argue it's morally permissible to take the life of an innocent human being, it's only morally wrong to take the life of an innocent human person. And this raises the distinction between being a human and being a human person. So this is the personhood argument, and we'll pick that up next time, looking at what that argument entails and why I believe it ultimately fails to justify abortion. To read my latest thoughts, visit the Thinking to Believe blog at thinkingtobelieve.com. Or if you'd like to comment on today's podcast, you can do so at the Thinking to Believe Facebook page. You can also send me any questions you might have at thinkingtobelieve at gmail.com. Until next time, keep thinking to believe.